podcast. You're a good podcast. Oh, good podcast. Good podcast. Good, good podcast. Don't fucking patronize me. <laughs> what? All podcasts are good podcasts. Wait, no. No, okay, no, wait, that's dogs. <laughs> yeah, yeah. There, there are lots of bad podcasts. <laughs> All dogs are good dogs. Let's watch a movie about good, good dogs. <laughs> yes. Hello and welcome to the Disney Animated Cannonball. A podcast where, for some reason, I have signed up to watch all of the Disney animated canon. A fact that I regret slightly less today than I did yesterday. Hey! I told you this one wouldn't be as bad. I'm Talon Lee, he, him. I'm Foxley, she, her. And that there is Ellie. <laughs> he, him, whip it. But people misgender him anyway. Well, that's fu- true. <laughs> I mean, people see a whip it, they think it's a girl. Because people have stupid-ass brainworms about gender. And dogs. And this movie has gender and dogs. <laughs> it does. Well, when dogs are people, they're allowed to have concepts of gender. But, but we get ahead of ourselves. Indeed. We watched 1955's Lady and the Tramp. We're only in 55. 1955. This was a big decade for Disney. Mm, don't worry, it ends. It does end. <laughs> <laughs> hey, let's enjoy the good times while they last, which is starting today. <laughs> this qualifies as good times. <laughs> kind of the good time. Uh, yeah, there has been one good time. <laughs> <laughs> Singular good time. <laughs> <laughs> That's it. We have to do the plot in 60 seconds, and I had to do the plotless mush that was Peter Pan. <laughs> it was kind of just a bunch of stuff happening. Yep. All right, so I get to do this one? Yes. I think I'm up for this. Your time starts now. Okay, Lady and the Tramp is a classic love story, but dogs. Uh, (laughs) Done. (laughs) A family gets a new puppy for Christmas, and she grows up into a beautiful, fancy lady dog, and they love her, and life is good, but then they have a baby, so she feels left out and sad. And then... Her evil aunt comes to town and throws her into dog jail, so she falls in with a local cad who has a bad reputation but is truly a dog hero. Uh, they fall in love, then she gets picked up and sent to more dog jail, uh, which he tries to apologize for, and she gives him the cold shoulder, but then suddenly she needs his help to save the baby heroically, at which point... He is framed for the crime and sent to extra super dog jail. (laughs) But can they save him in time? Yes, they can. Puppies! I may have left out some salient details, but you get the idea. You did, you did nonetheless manage to get almost everything I was going to include with a little bit of a, you know, you didn't have to gild the lily as much as possible. And you did miss the opportunity to say dog jail, double dog jail and double, double dog jail. But nonetheless, I appreciate the form. Thank you. Thank you. I forgot evil cats, but yes, they're not important and we'd rather forget them. (laughs) Yes. So. What's your relationship to this film? Okay, well, uh, listeners of the podcast will recall that I have in the past described myself as a dog person, and I think as a child, an insufferably dog person <laughs> might have been the words I chose. Um, I I didn't actually see this movie that many times, but the bits of it that I had on a definitely legal VHS that for some reason only contained certain parts of it 
that had a TV station logo in the corner. I don't know what was up with that. It's very mysterious. Uh, but I, I watched the hell out of what I did have and the storybooks and the comic books that they put out where the puppies are named and they get characters. And uh, I I love the dog movie. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and turns out it holds up a lot better than most of the old Disney stuff, I gotta say. I would not hesitate to say that this is the best of these movies that's like got a, like a story in it that I've seen so far. Yeah, I mean, you can't really compare Fantasia because it's, uh, yeah. it's its own kind of high art piece. Yeah, and, and Fantasia is beautiful and a lovely experience, but yeah, <laughs> high art. <laughs> Are we just going to leave our Ellie noises in for this episode? <laughs> I guess content warning if occasional dog mo- noises uh, affect you negatively. If dogs are a problem for you, we're going to talk about dogs a lot as well. It's true, and you probably wouldn't want to watch this movie at all. So, uh, thank you for staying with us thus far. Uh, we'll understand if you leave. Yep. Talon, did you have a pre-existing relationship with Dog Movie? Nah. Never seen this one at all? Nope. No bits and pieces? Nope. Ah, so this is a genuine first for you. Yeah, like, I'd seen the branding and the advertising around, but... No memories of this movie whatsoever. All right, right. It's hard to not at least have seen, like, a a VHS cover or a storybook cover or something of any Disney thing. Unless it's uh, Make Mine Music, I guess. Mm -hmm. And as far as the VHS thing, well, that's a secret that we'll get back to later. (laughs) I have no idea what he's talking about, but I guess we'll find out. No, uh, this movie just somehow completely passed by me, which is interesting because there's some stuff in here that's like, this is a more ambitious and more, this is a harder film than anything they've made before. That's probably true. Like this is, they've done animals before, but they were very, um, this is definitely the most realistic they've tried to make any animal life in, in the movies. And I don't mean to say that realism is a good idea. But I mean, these are much less rubbery Looney Tunes uh, animals. Yeah. Though, I mean, Trusty is is for sure a a, a, a tremendous callback to uh, the dog in Cinderella. Like, they're almost the same design. And also, the plot has stages, shots are longer. We'll talk more about that later. But I mean, this is a real story. Yeah. This, this has a through line. This has a coherent uh, romantic arc and story arc. It is based on another book, so they had that to work from, so you have the same thing you do with Bambi, but also you could say the same thing is true of Alice in Wonderland and Peter Pan, which are both garbage. Literally everything they've made uh, until Lion King is based on some kind of prior media, and Lion King is debatable. Uh (laughs) Uh-huh. We'll see you in 50 years. All right. And now the double take. Is there anything about this movie that you, having had a pre-existing relationship... (laughs) Uh, have to say about this. Yeah, this is going to be the me show this time, isn't oh, it? Oh, God, yeah. <laughs> um, I it, it did take me a while. Not until now, but it did take me a while to work out what was going on with the human names in this film. So, like, it takes a while when you're a kid for the, like, oh, right, it's Darling, because that's what he called her the first time that, that uh, he spoke to her, and that's how dogs do. That's your name now. Yeah, and partners don't tend to use each other's names yeah, very often. that makes sense. Uh, I also didn't realize that she there was a hat box that the puppy's in in the first place, so she thinks it's a hat, and that's why she's talking about the trimming and everything. I always thought that was a reference to the present, but it clicked for me on this view, going, oh, right, yeah, of course, she thinks she's getting a fancy hat, because it's the 50s in New England, and everyone thinks hats are the shit. I, you know what? I actually looked to try and find where it was set. I'm glad that you came away with New England. I'm just going to go with, yeah, it's New England. <laughs> 
Uh, I'll only commit to New England because they uh, explicitly state that uh, later on. And in fact, would you believe the sequel opens... The sit, don't watch the sequel. But the sequel opens with a big Broadway musical number about it being in New England. <laughs> and isn't it nice to have picnics in the park in New England? I didn't know what a baby shower was. Any previous <laughs> time I've seen this movie. <laughs> Suddenly made some fucking stuff. Oh, that's what they're... T- that's why she's going, oh, I love a shower. Right. This isn't about bathing. <laughs> oh, boy. There's a lot of stuff in this that goes over your head if you're a child. Yeah. Which is interesting. <laughs> Like, I I can just imagine a young fox being confused at the Yale pennant being pinned up. Like, what the fuck is that? Oh, I didn't even notice it. Good spotting. <laughs> well, that's definitely New England then, isn't it? Yes, of course. Thank you. Yeah. See, there are there are signs. It's just that I never noticed them until they made it explicit because I... Ju- ha- have you heard the accent? I'm not from around here. Yeah. <laughs> uh, speaking of showers, the 50s fucking feeding bottles uh, being displayed on the windowsill and stuff like... Boy, did I not know what the fuck that was about. Yeah. Weird science equipment on the windowsill? I do not understand it. Mm. But uh, that that all, that resolved with perfect clarity. Um, And there's a couple more things which I feel are more like, I try not to infer adult stuff onto a movie made for kids. I prefer to take the movie as it's intended. Yep. Um, But it's, I feel watching this as an adult, it's inescapable that they fucked. One of my notes. Uh, did those dogs fuck? Those dogs fucked because they're having puppies by the end of the movie. Mm -hmm. And that made another thing click, which I never really understood when, when Jock and Trusty go to Lady with, with the idea of, well, you know, someone has to propose to her to get her out of this situation. Yeah. Shit. They're fucking doing it because she's a pregnant single woman. Yep. Oh my God. Yeah. That just goes straight over your head when you're a kid. But there's no way that's not what's happening there. And in case you have this moment of like, oh, well, the time frame between the the um the night before and the puppies is, you know, you don't know how long that is. We know it's not too long because Trusty's still injured. Yeah, yeah. I believe the intent is that this film happens within a year. Yeah. She's six months old when she gets the license. Baby comes along not long after that. Disney has a very loose grip on babies aging, so... We see a calendar. We do see a calendar, don't we? She is a Christmas present, and the baby is born in April. Yeah. I think this is supposed to be a a single-year film, so there's no fucking way they did not get busy on their their make-out point date. Which is really... (laughs) It's in the same way that the Peter Pan. It's like, we just just heard a man die! (laughs) (laughs) But I... I feel like this is actually intended. Like, mm-hmm. I feel... Obviously, kids are not supposed to notice. But I feel like this is actually something that that they intended to be sort of subtext. You're not going to make it explicit. You're not going to be crass about it. No. But, you know, if you're an adult and you're paying attention and you know how fucking dogs work, then... Literally. You're going to go, oh, I see what they did there. That's that's kind of cute. The, the thing with... There's more to talk about as far as the like oddly adult nature of this movie. We'll get we'll we'll, we'll get to that. <laughs> but this is in, a, in in the way that Peter Pan is the most violent Disney movie we've seen so far. This is the horniest Disney movie we've seen so far. <laughs> oh boy, yeah. And most of the horny isn't problematic, which is nice. It's really weird, yeah. 
I mean, we've seen things be horny in Disney before, but they're always like, Creepy horny, yeah. Maybe don't. Not to say that there's not things in this film that belong behind the Yikes door, which I believe is our next segment, so pull her open. Here we go. So, this movie is 75 minutes long, and for the opening 15 minutes, it is just puppy growing into full-grown dog, training dog, learning how to live with dog. It is lovely and sweet and cute, and the closest thing you get to anything yikesy is that there is a miserly Scott, which, yes, that's a problem, but also, you know, very, very low end. I don't think that there are a lot of, a uh, lot of, uh, Scotty, anti-Scottish laws still kicking around in the United States. And then the cats arrive. <laughs> then you hear the first notes of that song. Yeah, Aladdin's Cave. And my notes say, oh, there it is. <laughs> yep. Right, so you hadn't seen this before, but you must know about this song. I know the song! I don't know why I know the song! Oh, they because they put it on compilations for kids of Disney music. Oh, yikes. It's a funny song. It's a comedy song. Because uh, they're Siamese cats. Yep. Get it? Do you get it? Do you get it? Do you get it, Talon? Do you get it? Mm. Yeah. And we know that they're not being voiced by an Asian actor, and they speak in broken English, and they do the broken LR thing. It's just yeah. terrible. I mean, I think you could probably tell that they weren't voiced by an Asian actor at the point where they say things like, if we sneaking up on it. Yeah. Good God. Yep. It's it's a Breakfast at Tiffany's, no ticky, no washy, <laughs> Asians as comedy kind yeah. of thing. And yeah, they're... Nasty. And they're duplicitous and evil and exploitative and uh, they are powerful but also um, seen as powerless so they're able to be manipulative. There's a whole raft load of awful stuff bound up in those characters. I don't know that it's directly intended but it is like it's not at all difficult to read it as their intruders into her space yep. to try and take it over and then appeal to authority when she rightly tries to see them off. It's not a nice portrayal at all. And I don't know how much that particular toolkit lands for American audiences at this time. I know that as an Australian raised with the entire problem of the riot, uh, of the miners' riots in the gold rush and the way we treated Asian Australians... My brain is just flashing bright red. I think this is about that time. I I am not an expert by any means, but I understand the the Roaring Forties and, and Prohibition and everything is fairly strongly associated with Asian immigration and, you know, the laundromat stereotype and all that kind of stuff. So I think this is the right time for that. Well, I mean, internment camps had only been closed for like five years at this oh, point. Oh, fuck me. I forgot about that entirely. There you yeah. go. I did say I wasn't an expert. Yeah. It's... Yeah. Anyway, uh, it's not cool. Uh, I wish they had not done this with the film. And it's it frustrates me particularly because it's just a, a breed joke. Mm-hmm. They do this with every character in the film who is a distinct breed of animal they, yep. they tie them to their location which is actually kind of cute because you get this whole sort of new england immigrant culture which is a big thing right yeah but don't worry they use that to be racist they too. do yes <laughs> it's, it's unfortunate yeah uh no it's not unfortunate it's deliberate and it was shitty yeah uh yeah so the pound and my my notes here says oh the dogs in prison are racist too. <laughs> it's very efficient racism. They use all the parts of the racism. I was at least really glad to see Jock on on the high society side of things because that yeah. there was like one 
accented immigrant <laughs> character on on the you know parties and high life side of the fence but yeah everyone in the pound is uh well not peg she's a woman oh and, okay that's and and also we, we can go into the we can go into the semiotics there but peg is clearly a lady of ill repute oh yeah hell yeah but i like I wouldn't say that's a negative portrayal necessarily because I think the film loves Peg. Yeah. And I don't think the film is trying to present Peg as anything wrong or bad. Well, we'll get on to how Peg was treated by the film later. But Anyway, yeah, uh, the, the Borzoi yeah? uh, gets off pretty easy. Um, Even though he, he cites Russian literature. He is a stereotype, uh, and but he's a more favorable stereotype than the other ones. Well, he's going to read as a favorable stereotype to us because he's quoting communist literature. Oh, yes, he is. Yes. He's there because they're like, ah, filthy commies, keep them in prison. <laughs> wow. Yeah, I just, <laughs> I, I was taking it at face value because they're like, oh, he's a philosopher. Well, that's nice. I mean, he does, he does say the Cossacks will come and take him away, which is weird. I guess they didn't want to use anything more specific than that. <laughs> well, those, those forces hadn't really been widely distributed in the West at this point, but uh, uh, the image of a Russian philosopher prisoner who speaks about the tyrannical reign of uh, <laughs> the, the Tsar who sent Cossacks out to kill people who weren't uh, appropriate. Like, yeah, that's uh, that, that guy is probably a leftist. Yeah, so I guess he's intended to be a negative stereotype, but joke's on them! Boris is a comrade, and he's cool. Yeah. Also, all my comrades love Borzois. I don't know why. I just have a surprising number of friends who are like, oh yeah, gotta love them Borzois. Could be because they're gorgeous. <laughs> I just, I have a thing for sighthounds, they're beautiful. You like really leggy dogs. I bought a whippet, what do you want from me? And I think Tramp is actually part of that, because he is a leggy boy. He is. And like... He is my vision of, like, dog glory at this point when I'm five years old, right? He, he really is a good-looking dog. I, I, I love a, a life hero. I, I love a light-footed, not like a muscle-bound, uh, heavy guy. I like a smart hero. Tramp is all of these things. Uh, and also, he doesn't look creepy like Peter Pan does, so... He is wily. He is wily. He's a very wily hero. Probably my first hero who's like that, but... You know, knowing that my other favorite film from this period was Robin Hood, I, I guess I'm establishing a trend here. Yep. <laughs> anyway, uh, we were talking about dog accents in the pound, because what else have we got there? We have a German dachshund. Who is digging a tunnel out of a prison. Does that evoke... If, like, surely tunneling out of a prison is a fairly non-racially tied... Why aren't the rest of them involved in digging out of the prison? Because they're running distraction. Yeah, but the point is, why is the German dog the one digging tunnels out of prisons in the 50s? This this is related to Nazi internment camps. Okay. It just, it just screams of it to me. Um, all right, all right, I'll take your word for it. Uh... God, who else? Oh, right. There's a the British bulldog who is yep. just a like big, sloppy, you know, slightly slow, but not especially offensive stereotype. I don't think. Not especially. No, it's hard to be racist towards the Brits, really. Yeah, you got to try hard. And I mean, they do try hard, but they didn't get it here. <laughs> yeah, he's the, the the other thing is like he's just so fundamentally good natured. Like the worst thing he does is something that everyone does, which is when he does something bad to a woman, he says, oh, I was just having a bit of fun, which is something that these movies clearly establish is not bad guy behavior. It's also, it's not especially 
Like, when you say does something bad to a woman, it kind of sounds worse than it is. Yeah. Because really, they're bullying the fancy kid. Yeah, and, and he, he is essentially disrespectful, and it happens to be to a woman. It's just, this is always happening. <laughs> but it's not the energy of, I know I'm safe to be unpleasant to this woman. Yeah. It's the energy of, look at the fancy prick from uptown. Yeah. Let's, let's thumb our noses. Also, he's a big doofus. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway. I mean, they're all pretty nice. And uh, by far the worst of them in terms of stereotypes is the Chihuahua, who, of course, is a fast-talking, barely intelligible Mexican with a sister of questionable reputation. Yep. Yeah. They... With a ridiculous name. Yeah. That's... He exists pretty much to deliver that line and then do very little else. And be lazy. He's, he's, he's shown napping character. and curled up and ready to sleep. There may be something there. I kind of thought everyone was, but... I wasn't watching for that, so you might be right. But now, with the dogs behind the yikes door done, let's move on to the human yikes! We do have a bit of a human yikes here. Yeah. So, if you know anything about this film, you probably know the spaghetti date scene. Yep. Uh, and you probably have some idea of the musical performance that's going on uh, during that. And, I mean, well, positive stereotypes are still very much stereotypes. <laughs> We have two very caricatured Italians here. Mm -hmm. They make the spaghetti. They play the accordion. They sing the romantic song for the dogs on the date. Oh boy. He possibly stole a Pinocchio a couple of movies ago. <laughs> they say, Mamma Mia, and shut up your face. Yeah, it, yeah. it's... It's awkward, and, like, in this universe, it makes complete sense that they are just two humans who are okay with this. But when you look at it diegetically, just imagine the conversation the next day. So, uh, what did you do at work last night? Why? Why? I played a romantic serenade for a dog. <laughs> like, that's, that's, not, that's a really weird thing. Hey, in my defense, the dog had a girlfriend. <laughs> I needed to make it the date sexy. <laughs> After all, the dog scored. Sorry, I'm going to stop doing this accent now. <laughs> I apologize. It's it's a shame because they're good yeah. people. Like they're, they're, they're really nice. Sweet. They're friendly. They'll feed a stray dog. They're they will go out of their way to make sure this dog is a good date because they're fucking weirdos. Um, and they're lovely. Yeah, but they are just the most stereotypy stereotypes you could possibly get. I didn't even remember that they actually use shut up at your shut face. Shut up at your face, yeah. <laughs> I think I burst out laughing because I didn't notice that the first time. And you're thinking, okay, surely we're done with the racism in this movie. Are we not done? I feel like we're, we're done. not done. Do you remember the cop at the zoo? Oh, that's right. We have an Irish cop stereotype. Oh, don't we? Yeah. yeah, this is this is just oh, this is some vintage anti-Irish racism. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, he's well. I mean. He's exactly what he needs to be for the plot, which is kind of a thicko and mean-spirited and short-tempered and... Needlessly violent just... and paranoid about his own defense. And in which case, they did go do the right thing by making him a cop. Yeah, it's it's just they also, like, absolutely mapped the Irish cop stereotype onto him. Giant yeah. ginger sideburns. He's wandering up and down whistling the, like, the fields of Athenry or something. Like, is he? I don't, think it's, I don't think it's actually the fields of Athenry, but he's wandering up and down, whistling an Irish tune. Like, it, it is all there. I want to check now. I missed the tune. I recognize Banks of Loch Lomond from the beginning, obviously. Yeah, I would, but... and, you know, good. Yeah. It's fine. It's fine. Yeah, it's fine. Um, but what I'm saying here is ACAB. Yeah. 
but uh, 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 we wouldn't put Akab in the Yikes door just on its own. Yeah. But we will put it there if you're also making a, well, huh, taking the mick. <laughs> Yike! <laughs> and now we close the racist door. Yep. Bye-bye, film. Look, uh, it's still, you know, doing doing pretty good for this era, I gotta say. The last thing we watched was Peter Pan! <laughs> yeah, I feel like it's gonna be a while before we get worse than that. We may never get worse than that. I, I'm not gonna commit to saying that, because I've probably forgotten something, but... Wait, wait, if we find anything that is nearly as yikesy as Pecos Bill and Peter Pan... It will be something that surprises us. Oh, I forgot about Bill. Yeah, okay. Yeah. Anywho. Next uh, step, though. Yeah. Let's talk about the non-racist bits of this movie. Well, eyelash watch. Eyelash watch. Boris has eyelash. Boris is, by all signs we are given, a boy. Um, so we have one confirmed set of boy eyelashes. In some of the shots of the Italian... Um, Chef? Oh, yes, the smaller guy does a bit of eyelash, doesn't he? Yeah, but I couldn't tell if that was, like, smile lines around the face, because those had some very animated faces. So, I should have watched closer. But there's some other stuff we'll talk about when it comes to faces later on. (laughs) Well, that's all there is for eyelash watch, so later on is now! Next up, we have Swaggle Watch! Did we see a Swaggle? You said, you, you called my attention. At a certain part. So I don't think we saw a swaggle, but I think that the accordion as this geometric object being tilted and expanded at the same time as the person holding it was singing and turning his head, that's definitely stepping up into that space (laughs) of showing off three-dimensionality. The animation in this is so good. Yeah. (laughs) It looks fantastic. I... I think I never realized how old these movies were when I was a kid, because this looks incredible. This doesn't look like an old movie. I mean, except for the stuff that's in it, but... Yeah. Yeah, well, it's... Oh, this one's a treat to look at. Yeah, it really is. There's there's a lot of really nicely animated stuff in here. Uh, And put a pin in that as well, because it's going to come up again. (laughs) I love their work on all the dogs, too. Like, they just move so much like dogs. It's delightful. Uh, we did propose a new segment last episode, I think, which was Same Face Watch. Uh, this is going to be a quickie too, since we only have one uh, human character to whom it could apply. But uh, yeah, Darling pretty much does have Cinderella's face again. Yep. That's, <laughs> that's the adult woman we're not making fun of face. <laughs> There's only one. I get the feeling we're going to see that horrible aunt again. Like, I have the vague... I, I have the vague image that she's a fairy at some point. She... I, I don't think we're going to see her exactly again. She She's definitely different enough from any of these other, you know, shrewish aunt characters. Um, but she, she's surely reminiscent of, of some objectionable women we're going to see later. Uh, but aside from that, uh, that, that's all we have to say about Saint Face. They still have not given women in the prime of their lives a second. All right, then. So... Normally, this is where we would put, like, a grand thesis statement about the movie if we had, like, some particular single single discussion. Um, and the thing with this movie that I think is most interesting is it's more technical, but also the content of this movie is something that Fox is much more of an expert on than I am. Pause for letting dog out. 
refer to previous discussion of insufferably dog person, yes. Yeah. So rather than like one big, rather than one great big thesis statement about anything, uh, we're just going to do like two mini theses uh, about <laughs> dogs and about how this movie got made. Okay, interesting. You noticed something when we first booted up this movie, and you were completely correct. This movie is the first Disney movie oh. in widescreen. Yeah, or like cinema widescreen specifically, though obviously any other kind of widescreen as well. But The brand is called Cinemascope. That's the thing. This yeah. is the widest Disney movie ever made. Did they never do it in the Satisfactory issue again? It's 255 five to 1 as opposed to 25 to 1 going forward. Oh my god. So I guess they were still kind of hashing out the, the standard they would go with. Uh-huh. Uh, Sleeping Beauty was produced for the 2551 aspect ratio, but then they trimmed it down. Wow. And we'll get into why later. Wild. Um, but, so this is the first Disney movie made for Cinemascope. It was the widest movie they've ever made at 255 to 1, sorry, 2.55 to 1 ratio. Uh, Sleeping Beauty was made for that ratio as well, but then trimmed down for release. Huh. Uh, we're going to talk about that soon, I guess. Yeah, yeah. Um, well, that, I mean, that checks out. I definitely never saw the, the full-sized version of this uh, at any time previously. So when it came up on the screen, I was really surprised. Yeah. Like, that's a long, thin movie. Yeah. And this brought with it a whole bunch of changes at Disney Animation Studio. Um, animators' desks had to be resized. To fit a background painting that was big enough? Just, you're working on bigger things. You're working on bigger cells. Oh and that's also one of the other elements here where I talk about how technology changing the way these movies got made. The price on cells dropped. <laughs> so suddenly a whole bunch of the war effort was no longer consuming giant quantities of the material sure, used to make okay. cells. And eventually backlogs got paid and companies started to pick up again and they could afford bigger cells, which meant that they could afford Cinemascope style movie production. Hang on a minute. Are you going to tell me that they decided to do a dog movie because they had a wide format to work with and horizontally inclined characters worked better for that? So I can't, I cannot say that is 100% true. But there are notes that there was a bunch of stuff about this movie that got it made despite things because of they were making it for CinemaScope. Um, one of the big notes here is that Walt Disney was super permissive with this movie in a way that, like, huh. control freak Disney would not normally allow. Is that why it doesn't have a ridiculously heavy-handed moral that uh, completely fails to get its point across in with the benefit of hindsight? That's one of the elements. Uh, one of the other elements in... The, the weirdness of this movie being made is tramp's a rude word. At the time. In is 1955, it? tramp is huh. a rude word. Not not a swear, but it's definitely one of those words you're pushing at the edges. Peg does have a few choice uh, synonyms that I, I wanted exactly how uh, much they would have liked kids picking those up at the time. In fact, tramp's name was such a contentious source that the scriptwriters had preemptively prepared a bunch of alternate names <laughs> to slot in that place wow. when they figured Walt Disney would blow up at them. <laughs> so, he was almost one of Homer, Rags, or Bozo. Ooh, those are quite bad. Rags is the best, but... Rags is a perfectly fine name. And God, I'm glad we didn't get Lady and Bozo. Yeah, or Lady and Homer. 
I mean, that would have aged worse, but... The Homer Simpson probably would have been called that if that had happened. Because, you know, arc of history and all that. Oh, that's a a weird, you know, quantum ripples kind of consideration. (laughs) I don't like that. Yeah, Homer seems like a loser name to us now. So they were, like, prepared to talk to Walt Disney. And they were like, okay, we have these backup names in case he was mad at them. And he was like, nah, it's fine. Go get me a glass of cigarette. <laughs> yeah, I, I'm noticing that this movie is is distinctly adult compared to what we've seen recently. Like, especially the its direct predecessors of, of Alice and Peter. Like, yeah. Those are very little baby films. Yeah. Uh, but this has so much stuff you, well, like we talked about before, that... Kind of flies over your head when you're a kid, but boy, are you there for all the cute puppy dogs! And we talk about this idea of, uh, of <clears throat> in media studies, as an overly commonly used phrase with the medium is the message, which is effectively things that present content change the world in the way that the content never does. The, the fact that people were going to cinemas changes their life much more than any individual movie on the cinema changes them. You know, you have to build infrastructure for that. All that stuff is like, you know, earthquakes as opposed to things bouncing along the earthquake. In the case of this movie, changing to CinemaScope required a host of changes in the animation studio. It required animators to do more long takes because they didn't have as much background uh, material to work with. It meant that there was more flexibility to do long action sequences. Fades were harder. Jump cuts looked worse because you had a big screen getting getting refreshed in this. So you got things like a protracted action sequence. I was going to say that does explain the two uh, fight scenes in this movie, which are pretty complex and like noticeably feature a lot of running back and forth. Like both of those scenes, the the action runs as far across the screen and zigzags back and forth as it possibly can. Yeah. There, there is a lot of stuff where they use the width that they had to work with, and action sequences worked well with that. The we, we talked about how like they did dogs because dogs as horizontal creatures might be easier to do, but at the same time, consider trying to fit a borzoi and a chihuahua on the same screenshot <laughs> close enough to talk to each other without feeling like there's a giant amount of space, and you'll notice that there was a lot of blocking in those scenes, like there's things in the foreground that like compose the shot. And also like four other dogs. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, they had plenty going on to fill fill up these scenes. That's probably why we mostly get characters hanging out in groups as well. Yeah. Essentially, I think it would not be unfair to say that a lot of modern visual storytelling techniques that prior to now we have pointed out have been very badly handled kind of were first deployed directorially mm. here. I wouldn't be surprised if it were the case. And I do feel like this is really well directed, uh, especially compared to a lot of what we've seen up until this point. Mm-hmm. Um, like, this is... There was a discussion of Pirates of the Caribbean, the, fir- the first one, the only Pirates movie, uh, where, like, the reason it's so good at being what it is, even though it's, like, it's a very popcorn movie, but it does a really good job because it's efficient. It's using all its scenes to do more than one thing whenever just getting a bit of information or like just finding out something about a character. It's it's doing a lot of that work in a, a tight and useful way. And I feel like that's really true of this movie as well. Like we're always getting to learn about who these characters are and seeing shit happen that drives the plot in a meaningful way. Unlike say Peter Pan where 
God, and Alice, where it's just a bunch of shit happens after other shit. It's not a lot of, uh, like, a strong through line for the narrative. Uh, but I really feel like there is here for, for the, well, not the first time. I mean, Cinderella had a, no, wait, Cinderella had a bunch of just hanging around doing song numbers. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, okay, fair enough. Yeah, this is, well, I feel like this is a standout in terms of story and direction. One of the standout things about this is that if you look at, say, Pecos Bill, for example, it was very common, if you look at the actual animation you're watching, for a character to bounce up and down in the cell statically and the background to slide behind them. Because what they were doing is they were using background art that was very simple, making really wide pieces and then just sliding that behind the uh, cell animation. What they did in Lady the Tramp was instead... The background shots were really detailed and still, and the animators had to learn to now compose around a much larger space where you would move the character around it. It's really interesting when you know that going in to watch for it. Hmm. Yeah, I don't, um, like, I don't think it's, there's no reason you couldn't do the background moving thing with this. It's not like they had to change what they were doing. Oh, yeah. But it's, uh... You know, if you could have that much action going on on screen and use that real estate, then it would change the way that you wanted to present it. Mm -hmm. So that's my technical thing. And you can see why I wanted to make sure that it was like known ahead of time, because there's a lot of stuff in here that makes more sense with that. Yeah, that's, I mean, that's legitimately cool to learn. And also speaks for a certain, like, seriousness of like, you know, no, we are going to do the thing that like movie movies do. This is serious shit from now on. Yeah. Which I suppose they probably felt very entitled to do after their, uh, like, they got high off of Peter Pan. <laughs> oh, yeah. Now, uh, I'm glad they turned to this uh, immediately afterwards. <laughs> mm -hmm. I like this better. Now, that said, that's the technical side. Hey, Fox, talk about dogs. Talk about dogs. <laughs> yeah, my first note might just be dogs, 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 dogs. <laughs> I, oh, God, I love this. I love all the dogs. I love the the animation in this is so joyful. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like Jock being this funny little like wispy footed fucking cute little terrier thing and and Trusty being all bones and folds and the way they play with ladies' ears, like their hair and mm -hmm. just everything about Tramp's cute smart hero design. I, so nice to look at. It is it is really interesting to look at the dogs who they put the most detail into. And, like, obviously, it's a cartoon dog. It's not a genuine, real representation of a dog. But it is really remarkably closer. <laughs> that, like, their representation of a human is a fair bit more wonky than their <laughs> representation of a dog. Yeah, I mean, I feel like they really set a standard for depicting cartoon animals going forward. Like, yeah. Like, we talked about how they used to be sort of more stretchy and Looney Tunesy in in their previous depictions, but like here, they're really. This is how animals will look in Disney forever. Like this is when they worked it out, and they're just like, "Yep, that's how we do animals now." Consider that just one movie prior, we have Nana who moves around like a bag of jam. <laughs> I mean, she wouldn't look horrendously out of place compared to these characters. Not, but she would look out of place. Yeah. Um. I always thought uh, ladies' markings were very strange, because I'd met quite a few Cocker Spaniels, and they were all entirely solid colour. Uh, but I did learn recently that they can have this marking set, so I'll give them a pass. Though I have seen the dog who was the model for Lady, and she didn't have those markings. So. 
swings and roundabouts, I guess. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you remember how I mentioned Wonderful World of Disney specials? Uh, and the one that was just all about dogs? One of the things they did was they, they had a little segment about, you know, here are the actual Lady and the Tramp dogs. And, Aww. you know, here, get to know them. And here's bits of their movie. And like, yay. That's quite rad. Yeah. I love that. I watched that special so fucking much. That's also how I saw the ending, you know, 15 minutes of Old Yeller without any of the rest of the film. Whoo! Yeah. <laughs> Dog special for kids who love dogs. Content warning. Old Yeller. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry, no, that, that's not me making a content warning joke. That's me just saying, like, as a verb, content warning old yeller. Like, that's a fucking dark book. Yeah, and also just a weird a weird spot to put in that special, given that the, like, old yeller is 90% boring-ass farmyard shenanigans. And then just at the end, the thing happens that everyone knows about. Uh-huh. And to pick out that one bit and emphasize, it's like, whoa. Okay. Um, anyway... What specific notes did I have on dogs? I loved how they did their voices. Like, I love that they have a little terrier dog, so he's like, Lady! Lady! And like, you know, then they have Trusty call out to her as well, and he's a big old hound, so it's like, Lady! (laughs) (laughs) They talk like dogs! Sound! It's lovely. I enjoyed that a lot. Uh, I like that they make Lady look legit ferocious. When she's going after something, I feel like they they'd soften that these days, especially the discussions of like you know how the dragon and Raya had to look cute and feminine enough and all that kind of shit. But like, lady's gonna fuck you up if you're a rat. Yeah, that's how dogs look, man. <laughs> that is also, by the way, not how rats look. <laughs> that is not how rats look. No, the the rat is definitely the animal depiction I have a problem with in this movie. Like, <laughs> the rat is portrayed as some kind of terrifying predator. I guess if it gets he, in the crib, it might. I, what's it gonna? It's like they make it like it's gonna eat the baby or something. Have you guys ever met a rat? Like, as soon as the dog showed up, that rat is fucking gone. Like, it's gonna stick around and have a go at a dog. A dog that's tramp size, no less. Like, this is not some little Maltese or something that maybe a rat could take if it was really angry. That's weird. I think I just realized why the rat's portrayed as such a terrifying existential threat to the baby. Is it a disease thing? I think it is. Like, that's all I can think of, because there's no sensible reason that a rat is scary. It's 1955. The polio vaccine just dropped. Antibiotics are not widespread at this point. It's entirely possible that if a kid gets an infection, that kid dies. Sure, sure. And, like, that makes sense. But the rat actively going after the child doesn't make sense. Oh, no. Rats are not baby predators. Yeah, there's nothing in that crib the the rat wants except warmth. I mean, unless you, like, left the baby filthy and covered in its own food or something, then the rat would probably be like, ooh, I'll take that. Yeah. Rats like cleaning up after people. But again, the only thing in that crib is warm. Yeah, it's... Well, rats don't want that warm. There's plenty of warm to be found in other places. But Fox, this is a rat fact. I didn't come here for rat facts. I'm here for dog facts. You're here for dog facts? Yes, it's true. Sorry, I'm just... I have to speak up for rats because everybody knows dogs are fucking heroes but rats are heroes too and nobody knows that except don bluth and that's a call nowhere what else uh don't give dogs coffee you (laughs) fucking idiot (laughs) i do love that we're like because they're providing exposition in in a way that we need to hear about it uh jim deer and darling talk like a an infomercial written by dogs like oh yes i'd say ever since lady came into our lives we've wanted for nothing and everything is perfect and wonderful yes darling i also think that lady is a wonderful addition to our family they talk like they're in a commercial 
and I fucking love it. At one point in the ma- in the movie playback, you did say, "Did a dog write this movie?" Yeah, <laughs> yeah that was it. I just it was at the height of like. Uh, you know, talking very specifically about a product in a very unnatural way. Um, I I don't know if it's fair to call this or not, but I think they did a pet the dog sequence with a dog. Yeah. Because the minute Trap shows up, I feel like they want us to know he's a hero, so he immediately goes and is nice to puppies, and then he frees the dogs from the balcony. I, in fact, have in my notes... Yes! ...for whatever land... That Tramp's opening is a very efficient set of signaling where he's shown that he is good with kids. He is hungry, but not greedy. He uh, avoids causing problems for people because he goes somewhere else to eat his food. Uh, He is altruistic. And then when he rescues the other dogs, he then follows through on making it so that they can get away. Like there's a lot of really contained character building there. There is, but specifically I love the puppy bit, because yeah. that's, like, the very first thing we find out about this guy. Well, I mean, I guess before he showers in the morning. He's a very clean tramp. But he could have said something <laughs> awful. <laughs> he could have, yeah. He could have been like, eh, kids, they're nothing but trouble. Or, it wouldn't be out of type for this kind of character. Yeah, or he could have said something to the effect of, uh, someone's gonna take you to a house with a leash. Yeah, stupid kid. <laughs> Guess you're in dog jail, stupid kid. <laughs> but yeah, instead he's just nice to them. It's baby dog jail. Even when no baby <laughs> dog jail. But yeah, e- even though no one is around to judge him, he is nice to children who also happen to be dogs. Yep. Uh um dog immediately assuming it's her fault. Love that. That's such a yep. like, that's a natural dog behavior. Humans are being weird. Oh no, what did I do? This must be my fault. It's, you know, nothing much to say about it except that that's just how dog works. Yep. Um, a human heart has only so much room for love and affection. Implying correctly that a dog heart has unlimited room <laughs> for love and affection. <laughs> Checks out. <laughs> Firm policies. That was written as a line by a monogamous man. <laughs> <laughs> a monogamous man who wasn't that fond of his wife. I mean, it's, they have to, you know, set up that attitude as a way to make the plot work, but I do also like that it, you know, it's not that way, necessarily, even though Jim Deere and Darling have some dog owner problems related to things like coffee and thinking that you can put your new puppy in a huge drafty kit. Oh my god, they're a giant fucking mansion house. God. I mean, it it makes sense. They're supposed to be rich and privileged and have a nice place. Like, that's the whole point. Mm Mm-hmm. Um... Do, 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 do. It is extremely Jim Daron Darling's fault uh, that that lady is shooed out of the baby room because when you have someone come into your house to mind your dog, you tell them what normal is. Yeah. You tell them what the dog's allowed to do. You tell them how the dog acts normally. It, ah, uh, it's like, Aunt Sarah sucks, obviously. She is our villain. Yeah. But it's, it's their fault for not setting her up. She thought she was doing the right thing. You have to tell people how to care for your dog. Yeah. I love the tramp doesn't know what a doggy door is. Yeah. He has to be told that's what it's for. Yeah. He's so smart. He's so savvy. He knows everything, except he doesn't know that that door is specifically for him. And that makes complete sense. And it makes me happy. I will say it's a little bullshit because a dog door for her that fits him. <laughs> like, it's a little weird. I, I, you might be 
surprised. Cocker Spaniels are not small dogs. All right, fair well, enough. Well, I mean, they might be technically in the category of small, but they're a big small. Yeah, Does I wasn't, that make sense? I wasn't going to get all kennel club on you on this one. <laughs> yeah, a full-size Cocker Spaniel is not that small a dog. Mm-hmm. Spaniels are sort of mid-rangey for the most part. Only villains ignore dogs. This is, I mean, I'm not saying that you have to serenade the dog and his dog girlfriend, but... The movie is very correct in that you don't just ignore a dog's body language. It means something. Yeah. Uh, It's very cool. Don't be like Aunt Sarah. Uh, Let's see. Oh, my final dog note. Uh, Yep, that's how crossing dog breeds works. All right. (laughs) You get three cocker spaniels and one mongrel. Yep. (laughs) Yep, yep, yep. Uh Uh-huh. Yep. Muppet genetics, that is. word for this actually because this is a common cartoon thing where you inevitably create love interest characters of different species and then you've got to work out something to do with their children like Kermit and Miss Piggy and Sonic and Sally and there's probably a TV tropes page for it not one that I know but also that wasn't an uncommon pre-Mendelian vision of (laughs) that the girls turn out like the mother and the boys turn out like the father yeah anyway I just I just wanted to make fun of that particular vision of Because, I mean, I get that we didn't understand genetics well at this stage, or possibly for a long time thereafter. This is 1950. We understood genetics. Oh, okay. So they're just ding-dongs. Absolutely. We had Mendelian genetics. We are using it to make (laughs) crops. At this point, we have people working on important wheat production. The Merino has been bred. The Blue Healer is a thing. Well, that's what I was going to say. Because even if we don't, even if we're still being shit garbage about human genetics... We know how dog genetics work. Yeah. Because we've been messing with dog genetics since we've been human. Yeah. Like, they go back forever. We've, it's very easy to observe what happens when you take two very different dogs and let them have puppies together. It's not a fucking mystery. You you pretty much nailed it. It is Muppet Baby Genetics. Yeah. All right. Well. Okay. Now, I think that's the end of my dog-specific notes. This has been... Fox talks dogs. <laughs> fox on dogs. <laughs> the quick brown fox overanalyzes the lazy duck. The lazy fox overanalyzes. The lazy fox overanalyzes the quick brown dog. Yes, all right. Yes, I like that. You should see how small my notes section is. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's cool because now we're kind of back and forth it in the crapshoot of whatever land. Ah, what do you got for me? Is this the first movie that implies something pees? Oh, right. A fence around every tree. Yep. Also, something goes over your head when you're a child. And they lay newspaper for the puppy. Oh, they do. Yes. That's how toilet training works. You put a single small surface next to the puppy and it just knows that that's where it's supposed to put it. Yep. That's where it, that's how it works. Sorry. I made this into dog talk again. <laughs> it's fine. Oops. But I, I do think this is the first Disney movie with piss in it. I think you're probably correct. Well, implied piss. <laughs> implied piss is my Twitter handle. We did not even see so much as a cocked leg, so we cannot say that there was definitely piss. So you're saying that there's an unseen cocked leg resulting in the implied piss? No, I'm saying that piss is alluded to, but not even close to shown. I, I should think that would be obvious. A lot of doors in this house without latches on them. Is, is that a common thing in New England or the 50s that I just didn't know about? Because I'm used to every door having at least like a knob and a bit that goes into the door frame to hold it shut when there's a stiff breeze, you know? 
I have seen houses without many of those. You have? But they're an antebellum South thing. Oh, interesting. Maybe they were like a more broad American thing that we just didn't know about. Eh, maybe. Yeah. Like to me, that was a bizarre thing uh, that I had never considered before. I'm not, I'm not saying by the way that the New England didn't have racism. <laughs> it's... Oh, hell no. <laughs> I mean, we just watched a lot of it. <laughs> the the doors without latches was a servant door thing. All oh, right, okay. Well, I mean, they are rich people. Yeah, they probably are, and that house probably did have servants once upon a time. The difference is, you wouldn't have slaves; you would have housekeepers. So, just people who have no choice but to work for you because of poverty. Yep. Which is very different, you understand? Well, it is very different, but not different enough. Mm-hmm. Um, I love the transition. To from puppy to grown up dog in the you know just for one night bed scene. That's yep. great. That's yep. Fucking comedy gold. Even even now. Uh, Jock refers to radical ideas. <laughs> what was he talking about there? He was talking about the idea that dogs don't need humans. Ah, yeah, sounds about right. Um, uh, it was always mysterious to me that the extremely, extremely stereotypically Italian uh, uh, restaurant owners uh, didn't give Tramp an Italian name. They called him Butch, which is extremely not Italian. Yeah. Maybe it's an Italian-American kind of thing, but yeah, it was just an oddity. Yeah, and and like we know that every culture has like common dog names. Yeah, yeah. But I assume it's like a, a name that belongs in that culture, at least to some degree. Yeah. I don't know. Maybe I'm wrong. If we have any Italian listeners, they could tell me whether I'm talking out my ass and butchers what every fucking dog is called there. That said, it does tail into my note, which is this is a world of animals all expressing interest in the fundamentally human. All of the, the closest thing we get to an animal that doesn't give a shit about humans is Cyan Am, where they are heartless towards human things. But even the birds. Are, sitting, are fluttering down and looking in the windows at human stuff, as opposed to what <laughs> birds in the morning are doing, which is looking at the fucking ground. I will say not everything, because uh, we do have zoo animals that have no chance to relate to human stuff in that way. Mm. Though the monkeys are noted as being too human. <laughs> I enjoyed that. I liked the beaver framed as like a, he's like a construction project guy. Yeah. <laughs> Didn't love hearing that voice, but... We'll be seeing a lot of whistling buck teeth rodents in the future in Disney movies, so I hope you enjoyed listening to it. I didn't. Nope. Oh well. Too fucking bad. Hey, snow is our new water, isn't it? Yeah. Like those flurries of snow coming in the door, they just did not know how to make those look. No, they've gotten much better at water. <laughs> they have, There's yeah. a lot of good water in this, <laughs> but the snow is dog shit. So it's not snow-like. Oh well. Uh, I enjoyed the very tired doctor. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Yes, I know. <laughs> I was there. Please, I want to go home. Uh, my my second last note is squeaky rat. Makes <laughs> the exact noise of a squeaky toy. Twice! It wasn't like, just a one-off. That's very unfortunate. I guess they didn't want to make it make a realistic rat in distress noise because that would have traumatized some children. Yeah. <laughs> and they already had realistic dog fights in this movie, so. Yep. I mean, bloodless dog fights, so that's one thing. I wouldn't be surprised if this had a G8 plus just for the combat, but I don't know. Clearly it was light enough to get away with. Uh, boy, the first time we see the baby, it looks upsettingly unreal. <laughs> like that, they've painted it onto the background. Yeah. So it's just like she pulls back the, the clearly animated cloth and the thing underneath is like, whoa, 
Like, oh, you gave birth to a painting. (laughs) (laughs) Something very upsetting and wrong there. It's not nice. (laughs) Sudden, you know, otherworldly Cthulhu kind of notion. How much more you got? Uh, do you really take off that quickly after having a baby? I mean, she talks about feeling insecure doing it, and I think she's right to to go, no, maybe I don't leave my newborn. No no clue. Mm. I have no idea how much time was passed there. But, like, yeah, wow. Yeah. Uh, love the scenes where Tramp uses his knowledge of the area specifically to, to you know, rescue people and... Uh, and get to places before villains can get to places. Because he's a sighthound. Following through on what he's supposed to do, you know? Oh. I don't even know if he's a sighthound. He, I mean, he's Damn a it. Role. That was a guess. I was like, oh, oh I'm going to get cookies from Dog Expert, but no. I'm sorry. <laughs> well, Tramp's a mixed breed dog. That's the point of his character. He's not a recognizable breed. Because uh, he's a mongrel. And a slut. Yeah. <laughs> I do love the energy of like, sorry, honey, your boyfriend's a slut. Yep. Mm. <laughs> kind of fun um but i wouldn't be surprised if tramp had some kind of sighthound in him because he is a tall leggy boy so you know points for noticing a trend i guess Mm -hmm. uh but i just like that it follows through on the traits we're informed that he has he's supposed to be savvy and street smart and then he shows us that he is that is just so refreshing after a lot of informed traits in disney characters up to this point yeah yeah uh I definitely could not identify what currant beef was back in the day. <laughs> Picked it up this time. Yep, got it. Yeah. Got it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yep. I watched this movie hungry. <laughs> yeah, that may have been a mistake. Um, couldn't write a second verse of the love song for the choir to do. They just sing the same song over again. <laughs> just write a second verse. Come on, it wouldn't have been that odd. Well, you did kind of interestingly chain in to my last note. <laughs> oh, yes? So, what do you know about the voice talent for this? Uh, very little. Peg's got to be someone who sings, right? Her voice is... Peg is voiced by a musician called Peggy Lee. Right. I saw that that name come up in the credits and I was like, I bet. She just sounds like that's the voice she'd have, right? Mm Mm-hmm. Peggy Lee was very important to the era of music in question. Have you ever heard someone invoke the phrase, Is that all there is? Yeah. Yeah, that's her song, Is That All There Is. Okay. Along with dozens of other songs from the big band period of music. And also, you might have heard the song, Why Don't You Do Right? I don't know that I have. Okay. It's not scored into your brain the same way it is for a lot of other people. (laughs) Because that's the song Jessica Rabbit sings when she first appears. Okay. And that song and that style is modeled on Peggy Lee. Gotcha. So that's why Peg is a sexy, sexy little mop terrier for some reason. Peggy Lee is also the singing voice of Lady. Ah, interesting. And of Darling and of Cy and Dam. So she's got a shitload of range is what we're saying here. Like, girl can do voices. Yes. Um, she got her start in band hall kind of performances where crowds would be noisy. And at first, because this was unamplified performances, she would... Start by being a belter to try and show off and get people's attention. But then when she realized that that was just fighting them on their own front, she talked about how she developed what has since been described as a trademarked purring style of singing. (laughs) If you think of hot, sexy, high femme style voice presentation, 
Peggy Lee is one of the main sources of that in media. Okay. Yeah. Um, and remember how I had all those pins about the VHS release earlier on? Every time you mentioned the VHS, I was just like, oh, let's put a pin in that. Let's okay. just put a pin in that. Okay. So here's where all those pins come tumbling out. They had to take her out of the VHS? When Disney released the VHS version of Lady and the Tramp, they didn't pay her anything. Ah, that's some bullshit. Because their stance was, well, this is just repackaging a thing that she's already been paid for. And her stance was, no, this is production of my performance. Give me some fucking royalties. You actually, like, you have more of a case than that when it's a, a song number. Because music has its own weirdly specific... Yep. Uh, intellectual property laws. Mm hmm. Interesting. She then sued Disney over five years and got a final payout in 1992 of $2.3 million. Nice. And set case law that Disney had to fucking pay royalties to musicians. Get them! Yeah. Yeah! All right. I like Peggy Lee. Peggy Lee was so influential, she was the model. And the source of the name of a puppet known as Piggy Lee, who is now known Hang on. as Miss Piggy. Wow. I'm guessing she didn't have a similar voice. <laughs> she could. She had the range. <laughs> so, yeah, Peggy Lee was apparently just a bit of a badass. Going. And she wrote a number of the songs for this movie. Yeah. Which is one of the reasons why she got extra huffy about royalties. So... Well, good fucking honor. There's a reason this... And again, this movie is permissive in ways that others aren't. It's hornier <laughs> because they got a person who basically got to define a generation's horny to write the songs. Can you do it without making the dog sexy? Mm, no. <laughs> I don't understand the question and I'm not going <laughs> to respond to it. It's uh, funny. So yeah, that's pretty wild, huh? Right, so my little note here that says she does have a great voice is kind of an understatement. Yeah. <laughs> uh-huh. Before we leave the subject of the pound, which is where we were before we started getting distracted by the voice, <laughs> um, this is the first film I encountered which had dog jail, <laughs> uh, which would become very much an ongoing theme. I don't know how many dog movies you've watched, but... Uh, the the perpetual portrayal of, you know, dog catcher as huntsman, jailer, all-round bad guy, and pound as, like, dog hell is very, uh, very much a recurring theme. And I'm guessing it came from this, since I haven't seen anything older than this that did the same thing. <laughs> I was a little bit dreading this because I was concerned that I would rewatch uh, Tramp interacting with Lady and be like, all right, in the fullness of time, with the benefit of the last several years of being a woman online, I am going to think that this guy is a shit. But he's not remotely as bad as he could have been. He barely takes any persuading to just go, yeah, all right, you don't want to do it, fine. Mm -hmm. Like, he's so much better than I was afraid he was going to be, and that a 50s guy who thinks pretty highly of himself would be. Yeah. Uh, I'm really impressed. <laughs> Just a nice little note to end on, I guess. Tramp's not that guy. Yeah, it, it's it's amazing too because there is in in the context of the kind of character, there are lots of people who think they want to go back to being the kind of guy Tramp is, and they can't live up to the standards of a cartoon dog from nineteen fifty five. It's so true. He's he listens. 
he respects, he encourages her to try new things, but he doesn't demand it of her. Yeah, he's, uh, I'm just, I'm surprised. Well done, good dog. All right. And now. You know what dogs are too good to engage in? Capitalism. Capitalism. Hey. So the box office. <sighs> it's going to be so much worse than Peter Pan and it will make me sad. They probably spent more on it as well just because of the cinemascope and everything. It I mean, was... Peter Pan was a budget balloon, but yeah, this it... has got to have gone up again. Uh, so Peter Pan had a budget of $4 million, mm-hmm. And this movie required a restructuring of the studio. Oh, right. I get. Do we include that in the movie's cost? Yeah. Or, yeah. yeah. Well, the budget of the movie okay. is part of the way they made the movie. Uh, it's probably like seven or eight then. Four million. Only four? Yeah. Wow. Not noticeably more expensive than Peter Pan. Not noticeably more expensive than Peter Pan. Wow. Now, this is where things got extra interesting. Because Lady the Tramp made about seven and a half million at its first run of the box office. Uh-huh. But... That's because they couldn't open it in most cinemas. Oh, it's also a format thing. Because most cinemas couldn't do full cinemascope. Shit. They would advertise that they could do full cinemascope, but it was a lie. Oh, well. Which meant that this movie got released to theatres a second time faster than almost anything else. This movie went back into theatres in 1962, seven years later. It has been rescreened. In 62, 71, 1980, and 1986, which makes it, the, of all of the classics so far, this is the one that has returned to the cinema the most. And in a fairly short time period as well. Like yeah. Most of them we saw re-releases in, like, the 80s and then the 90s. Yeah. That's that's a bunch of really close together re-releases. If you were a five-year-old who went to the theater and saw, um, and saw Lady and the Tramp when you were five years old, you would be 13 when, when it was re-screened. Um... And that's really interesting. Um, it has a lifetime earning at the moment of 93 million theatrical box office, which is a drop oh. in the bucket to its VHS, DVD, and Blu-ray performances. That's only theatrical. Only theatrical. That's really good, then. Yes. But yeah, so the fact that they produced this movie on CinemaScope meant that the initial profits were bid into. It still made its money back, and people were high on it, and people loved it. This movie got really positive impressions, and they actually did like early versions of what we would consider market research and found that people fucking loved Lady and the Tramp. Yeah. But you know who didn't love Lady and the Tramp? Dog movie, dog movie. Um, uh, bitter old women with cats? The critics. Oh. This movie was not well received by critics. The one critic describing the emotional range of the characters as having the dimensions of hippos. And describing the artist's work is below par this time. Sorry, what the fuck? <laughs> the, the, these are the most sincere characters we've seen in any of these movies. Things happened to them and they not only responded, they had meaningful opinions that were followed through in their actions and choices. What the fuck is this critic on? Do you prefer a movie like Peter Pan where... Characters just wander through the world and stuff happens at them and then they all just go home and talk about how it was an adventure. Ah! So I have two pet theories here. One, this critic thought the movie was about John Deere and Darling. Ah. Yeah, okay. I suppose if you missed the point that badly, then you would think, well, these are some very dull characters. Or, two, this critic is pissy that it was focusing on a woman. (laughs) 
It is her story. It yeah. really is. Uh, I mean, you know, we've seen that before. Alice in Wonderland is very about Alice. Mm-hmm. But, I mean, this this one definitely has a character with more of a sense of, like, existing. I mean, she's still like an ingenue. Yeah. But, you know, she develops and shit. Mm-hmm. Oh, ah, fuck that guy. Yep. I think the home video sales alone would put him to shame. And I think that runs us out of stuff to talk about in dog movie, dog movie, dog movie. Oh, well, we're not going to talk about how much it made on home video. Do we not have that? Well, it it so happens we do have those statistics uh, available. It was sold on VHS and Laserdisc as part of the Walt Disney <laughs> Classics video series in the, uh, in the United Kingdom in 1990. At the end of the initial home video release, it was reported to have sold... 3 million copies and was the best selling video cassette at the time. <laughs> the video cassette had grossed a hundred million in sales by 1988. I thought it'd do pretty well. <laughs> Incidentally, they asked Peggy Lee to promote it and they paid her $500. $500? This is about when the lawsuit kicked in. Okay. Uh-huh. <laughs> yeah. Uh... Yeah, all right. Well, I this is the first one of these I think that I haven't felt mildly offended by the the capitalist impression of. Do you remember? I've got one more. I've got one more quote from a critic. Oh, oh dear. Just because. Fine. Do you remember our friend Bosley Crowther of the New York Times? No, should I? Well, he claimed that this film was not the best Disney has done in this line. The sentimentality is mighty, and the cinemascope size. Does not make for any less aware of the thickness of the goo. It magnifies the animation so that the flaws and poor foreshortening are more plain. Unfortunately and surprisingly, the artist's work is below par in this film. (laughs) Wow. Yeah, whatever, buddy. (laughs) Go fuck yourself, Bosley Crowther of the 1950s. Go fuck yourself. How dare you make a movie about dogs being in love and then heroes. <laughs> but the artist's work is below power. Mm. All right. So with that, I think we're done with dog movie, dog movie, dog, dog movie. movie. Dog movie. I, I'm not actually sure what's next because I'm pretty sure Sleeping Beauty's not until 57. Mm. And was there another one in between? No. 59. 59? Four year gap. Wow. So this is a four year period where they are riding high on the profits of Peter Pan and Lady in the Tramp. Right, right, yeah. And I, I like Sleeping Beauty as well. It's not a lot of people's favourites, but I think it's quite good. So, uh, I guess, join me there. I just realised there's a reason we missed a whole bunch of different movies that I was expecting because they are live action with animation. Oh, you thought we were going to watch like Pete's Dragon and shit? Yeah, well, no. Mary Poppins? I didn't think we were. Anyway. <clears throat> All right.